The revolution is here. A movement of people free to live, work, and choose. We won't tell you what to think. We just demand that you think for yourself. This is Kibbe on Liberty. Logan, good morning. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I am well, and this is perhaps the most important episode we will ever do, um, an emergency episode, if you will, because I have recently learned that Congress has decided that it can legislate time itself. That's correct. There are so many problems, and here we are. This is the classic example of the hubris of man trying to step in and rewrite the natural laws in order to fit our conveniences. It's very scary. So specifically what happened, and, and this, is, this is on the heels of, of Marco Rubio's uh, question about, about biolabs in Ukraine, and uh, we have rampant inflation, and we have um, lockdowns continue to, to feel those devastating effects. Uh, everything is wrong, but in the midst of all this, Marco Rubio pulled a procedural stunt on the Senate floor. What, what's he up to? Okay, so as many Americans will have realized, we have recently sprung forward that annual ritual, which nobody likes, where we have to lose an hour of sleep so that people can have more daylight in the evenings in the summer for some reason. And there's the usual hullabaloo about why this is evil and we shouldn't do this, which I totally agree with. And in the guise of solving this problem, Marco Rubio has sponsored a bill called the Sunshine Protection Act in the Senate. And it, the, what that bill would do is make daylight savings time permanent, not abolish daylight saving time, which is what I think we ought to do, but it would make it permanent. And in order to usher this bill through the Senate, it was in the Commerce Committee. There was no vote on it in the Commerce Committee. It has not been discussed. Uh, in a time when there were very few people in the Senate chamber, Marco Rubio requested that the bill be discharged from the committee without objection and passed into past the Senate. Uh, and Senator Kirsten Sinema from Arizona was the presiding officer at the time, and she just announced without objection, so ordered, and it took all of 10 seconds for it to happen. Nobody knew it was happening. Nobody had time to prepare for it, and it was considered passed, even though nobody voted on it, nobody discussed it. It's a really dirty kind of procedural trick that completely circumvents the entire idea of how lawmaking is supposed to happen in this country. Of course, they do that all the time, but uh, it, I feel like there's a little bit of hubris in the name itself can... Can the U.S. Senate protect sunshine? Well, I'm not convinced that sunshine is in need of protection. Sunshine seems to be doing all right as far as I am able to tell. Um, but I think there's this kind of misunderstanding of what daylight savings time is for a lot of people. People seem to think that you get more sunlight during daylight savings time, and that's not at all the case. The Senate, as august a body as that is, does not have the time to – does not have the power to regulate the orbital motion of the sun, Earth around the sun or anything like that. We get the same amount of sunlight regardless of what the Senate does. What daylight savings time does is it takes an hour of sunlight from morning and moves it to evening. So you get darker mornings and you get brighter evenings. So that's basically what they're talking about and doing that on a permanent basis. When did this first happen? There's uh, who, who came up with the bright idea of, of changing time based on political – whatever their motives are. I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure what Rubio is trying to do here, I guess, um, as a Floridian – more sun. I don't even understand the economics or the incentives here. Well, it's a complicated history, which I'll get into in a minute. But let's start with why people think this is a good idea, why people like daylight savings time. Basically, we have adopted this sort of fixed schedule for work, this kind of nine to five or eight to six workday, whatever people are working. And a lot of people want more time after work to be able to do things. 
Um, and so the rationale for daylight savings time is that you'll, you know, it'll be darker when you get up, but when you get off work, you'll have more time to do things in the summer. I'm not really sure why the summer, because you'd think that in the winter when the days are much shorter and you get a lot less daylight overall, that's when you would want extra time in the evening. But for some reason, I guess, cause people are outdoors more people want that in the summer and that's sort of the rationale, but it kind of dates back. It was also used as a, a rationale for saving energy. This it's kind of dates back to world war one. It was called wartime. And they would change the clocks in order to supposedly save electricity so that people weren't burning their electric lights as much in the evenings to save money for the war effort. And it was revived in World War II for that same reason. Uh, there's not very good evidence that that actually works. Um, there was a meta-analysis of a lot of different studies on energy usage and daylight savings time. And I think the conclusion from summing all those studies together was that we maybe save about 0.3% electricity during daylight savings time. But like the thing I want to point out, first of all, that's negligible. Second of all, the thing I want to point out is like the changing the time doesn't actually save energy. It's people's behavior that saves energy. If there there are less complicated ways to save people uh, using as much electricity, if that's something that's important to you, uh, than changing every clock in the country year round. That seems like an extreme reaction to get zero point three percent savings on energy to me. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can say personally that daylight savings time always screws up my my sleep cycle because um you know you're dealing with uh time changes from going to the west coast to the east coast anyway and on top of that um we actually did um i did a podcast with brian mcwilliams with with a guy column based in hungary Mm -hmm. and they hadn't switched it so we we had no way of coordinating time because we didn't we didn't realize that our overlords had changed some of the rules but not all of the rules can consistently yeah, I think what people need to understand is that time isn't isn't arbitrary. It's based on natural cycles and what is going on with the planets. And so what we used to do before time zones and before daylight savings time, uh, pe- pe- localities would just kind of set their own times based on where the sun was in the sky because you want midday to be when the sun is overhead. You want midnight to be when the full moon is overhead. You want sunset and sunrise to be somewhat consistent. Um, and so people would just set their local times that started to change when we needed a more global system of communication, specifically the railroads in the 19th century. People needed to know what time the trains were leaving, what time the trains were arriving. So we came up with this kind of standardized time system in time zones. And then daylight savings time was added on top of that. This was all really codified into law, you know, kind of haphazardly. But it really became official in 1966 with the uh, Uniform Time Act, which which both standardized the time zones and standardized daylight savings time. But like time is supposed to reflect where the sun is in the sky and daylight savings time is unnatural in that it artificially just shifts you off from where the where the sun is. And that has consequences for your health, uh, for your sleep, because our bodies are have been, you know, the product of millions of years of evolution where the sun is a certain place at a certain time. And you just change that, your whole entire DNA structure and being isn't going to just automatically shift because Congress says you have to shift. And there have been studies that show that your body doesn't ever really adjust even after three months to daylight savings time. Your circadian rhythms are off. Uh, This particular bill that Rubio has introduced has been uh, hotly opposed by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, which has pointed out the research that says that you don't sleep as well. It throws off your body. People, you know, just aren't as healthy. And to me, it's really interesting that like we're coming out of this two year period where everyone's obsessed with health and they're saying, man, we're too overweight. We don't sleep well enough. We don't eat well enough. We're such an unhealthy country. We got to be protected against COVID. And instead of like trying to do things that will make us healthier, they're trying to alter time in a way that will make us less healthy. Now, I should add 
that the actual springing forward and falling back is very bad for you as well. Um, they show that like heart attacks are up, strokes are up, all kinds of negative health uh, occurrences are associated with changing the time. So I think changing the time is really bad too. But if you're going to, you know, have one time, it should be the correct time based on the solar motion and not based on just whatever the politicians happen to want. Why don't you trust these guys to know better than than the Earth and the planets? <laughs> well, they don't have a good track record. I mean, uh, you were bringing up a point about uh, Chairman Mao in communist China who thought he could kind of overturn the natural order of things and redirect rivers and make birds, you know, not exist so that they wouldn't eat the corn and everything like that. And it has, it, you know, resulted in famished, uh, one of the greatest famines in history, like terrible hundreds of millions of people dying. Uh, not a good solution when we try to do that. And, you know, there's there's good arguments for using technology to overcome natural things sometimes. Curing diseases, obviously a great thing. But you there's usually a cost that comes with trying to overturn the natural order, and you need to understand what that is. And when you're just imposing something arbitrarily on 350 million Americans because some people like it when it's brighter out in the evenings, that seems really stupid to me. And the other thing I wanted to say is that we've, we've tried this before. Uh, in 1974, they enacted Universal Daylight Savings Time, and they repealed it within a year because everybody hated it, and people were upset that their children were going to school in the morning and it was still dark out because you're stealing an hour of sunlight from the morning and giving it to the evening. People were upset that uh, construction workers were very concerned because they were working early in the morning and it was dark and there were more accidents. There was some prominent uh, automob automobile accidents where kids were hit with, by cars while they were waiting for the bus for the school in the morning. And uh, politicians were like, we, maybe we shouldn't do this after all. And they asked for it to be repealed and it was repealed within a year. So we've run the experiment before and it didn't go very well. It was, it was over almost immediately. So I don't know why we would repeat the same mistake again. Yeah, I, you, you mentioned the, that we actually made a video about this with our friend Lee Schooland mm. who grew up during Mao's Great Leap Forward and Cultural Revolution. And as a little girl in China, one of her jobs, um, actually she was in charge of, of straightening rivers, mm -hmm. which created massive erosion and, and destroyed farmlands. Um, but she's also um, one of the, the, the millions of kids assigned to destroying all the birds so that the birds wouldn't eat the crops. But then, and they did this, there's like, there's like historical footage um, the government is proud of, of murdering all these birds, but but then the crops were destroyed by bugs. Yeah, because uh, uh, Mother Nature finds a way. <laughs> yeah, and there are ecosystems that matter. You yeah, know? and it's um, uh, you know a more recent example, and we were talking about this before we started as well. But the whole the whole notion, uh, well, there's several aspects of of this last pandemic that is. Um, categorically different than how we've ever dealt with pandemics in the past. And one was one was this idea that you could lock people down and beat Mother Nature and beat a virus that um, we, we never tried it before. It clearly didn't work. It probably, um, just in terms of direct impacts on human health, probably made things worse. And yet the hubris of, of guys like Fauci, and he's written about this, he has, he, he thinks that he and his colleagues and you know their their elite status as epidemiologists and public health experts, he thinks they actually know enough to, to redesign Mother Nature again. Yeah, yeah, and we don't actually know what happens when you permanently shift everybody off the correct time 
it's probably not going to be a good idea because, you know, as I've already pointed out, the health benefits, but, you know, we just don't know. And it's a, it's a crazy thing to kind of interfere with thousands of years of tradition and history just for convenience. To me, this whole thing is like the height of narcissism. It's, it's this classic like, 21st century American culture where it's, well, I want this. I want another hour of daylight. Therefore, everybody has to change their schedules. Yeah. And like the other thing I think is interesting is like we're now coming out of a time where we have less of a need for daylight savings time than ever because like people have much more flexible work schedules than they did 100 years ago. Now we have this coming out of this pandemic. People are working from home more. People have the option of going into the office or not going into the office. Like if you want more time after work to do things. Get up an hour earlier, go to work an hour earlier, leave work an hour earlier, and then you have more time to do things. And that can be your individual choice. And I think, you know, there's obviously people who can't do that. People have fixed hours, but more people than ever before have that option now. And instead of kind of embracing that individualism and that individual choice and saying, you live your life the way you want to live it, they're trying to impose this top-down solution and say, everybody has to be on this time. And I think that's crazy. Yeah. So um, who are the good guys and the bad guys. We've already established that Marco Rubio is 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 an awful person for introducing this legislation in, in such a an underhanded way. Yeah. Um is is there are there any good guys on this or is is the Congress just like, okay, let's do that? Well it's hard to tell because we didn't have a vote. So it's hard to know, you know, who's actually for it and who's against it. Uh, we know who the sponsors of the bills are. There's a House companion bill, of course. Um, it's interesting that this is a bipartisan effort. You get both Democrats and Republicans opposing it are supporting it and presumably opposing it as well. Um, I know that Thomas Massey, our friend, has an alternative bill, or at least has in previous has in previous years. I'm not sure if he has introduced it this year, but he's previously proposed a bill that would basically allow the individual states to make up their mind about whether they want to be on daylight savings time permanently or not. Because the current system comes from the Uniform Time Act of 1966, which allows states like Arizona and Hawaii to opt out of daylight savings time, which those two states do. They're the only two states that do. But it doesn't allow states to have any more control over their time than that. So, like, Thomas Massey has introduced a bill – or he hasn't introduced it. He's co-sponsored it, but he's been promoting it to um, to let states decide, well, okay, we want to be on daylight savings time permanently. Our neighbor state may not want to do that. Um, that's a little bit more of a federalist approach, which I think is generally good. I mean, my preferred option would be for no state to be on daylight savings time because that is in tune with the natural cycles of things. But, you know, I'd prefer letting the individual states decide to trying to impose daylight savings time on everybody without anyone's permission, really. I, I suppose it'll it'll naturally I, I, I searched on Twitter and all of the it seems like all of the blue checks who were so rapidly pro lockdown are rapidly pro um, uh, changing time permanently to daylight savings time. And I I don't know what the nexus is between those two things, but it, I think it's just like authority yeah. and and the presumption that you can do things but um that well, it's that interesting because this is the follow the science crowd right right and they're not following the science the yeah. science says that the benefits of daylight savings time are negligible if any and the drawbacks are considerable in terms of health and so they're not listening to what the scientists are saying in this case they're just doing what they want to do it shows the whole follow the science narrative is is pretty disingenuous to begin with yeah it it, it was consistently anti-science in the sense that um you know, real science is humble. Yeah. Real science doesn't presume to know everything, and um, you would you would sort of let nature tell you what the right thing to do is. I mean, that's supposedly what the scientific process is. But it's it just it's fascinating to me that there's, and I see this. Um, it it sort of 
I realized in the last two years that there's been this seismic shift in in sort of that that fatal conceit that our central planners have, and it, you know it could be the U.S. Senate, it could be the the World um, uh, Economic Forum that yeah. we all demonize now, but but they're talking about all this crazy stuff like um, that that we're like just like lab rats and we're going to re-engineer things from the yeah, top down. Yeah, and it's interesting that you don't have like environmentalists uh, opposing this sort of thing because I guess they have they have their argument about energy savings, which is not really a very solid argument. There's not a lot of evidence for that. But you would think people who are concerned with kind of planetary health would care about what nature is doing and what nature is telling people to do. There's this common myth that farmers are the reason that we have daylight savings time because they needed more time to work in the fields in the evening. And actually, that's not true. Farmers, as a group, generally oppose daylight savings time because farmers are um, probably among all the workers in America today kind of closest tied to the natural world. They have to do certain things at certain times of the day based on what nature is doing at those times. They have to milk their cows at a certain time when they're ready to be milked. They can't just arbitrarily decide when to milk their cows. Um, same thing with harvesting and anything like that. And so when you're changing time on farmers, you're disrupting their entire routine because they can't just go into work an hour later. They have up to, you know, they have to milk the cows when the cows are ready to be milked. And so farmers have generally opposed daylight savings time for that reason. And as you know, Matt, I identify as a pagan. And pagans are very interested in kind of maintaining harmony with the with the earth and with the cycles of the earth and with the things that are going on with nature. And so it's important to me personally that we we live a life that where we observe nature cycles and we say, you know, here's what the moon does. Here's what the sun does. Here's what the seasons are doing. Your female viewers will no doubt appreciate the importance of the lunar cycle. Um, but, you know, and I think it's not only health, healthy for our bodies, I think it's spiritually healthy to be more connected to the planet that way. And it seems very dangerous to me to just arbitrarily start switching times because it's, you know, some percentage of the electorate wants it. Um, you know, it, it, I hate to make the slippery slope argument, but like what's going to happen if this bill passes a couple of years from now? Maybe people want to shift another hour. Maybe they want to shift another hour. And, you know, we end up being completely disconnected from the natural rhythms of our bodies and our natural rhythms of the planet. And it seems like a bad idea to me. Why, why hasn't the pagan lobby risen up in, in mass against this? You know, the pagan lobby affront? is not as powerful as you might perhaps imagine. There are, as far as I know, no pagan members of Congress and no largely organized uh, uh, lobbying groups. It's sort of the same problem libertarians have is that we don't really like organization too much we yeah. kind of are very individualistic and like to do our own things and not be told what to do and uh, it makes organization difficult so um the I'm, I'm thinking about the politics of this and you and you said that that there there is some perhaps voter demands to have longer evenings but i suspect the truth is uh, most people just don't like changing the clocks yes and i they, think that's right and they probably haven't given any thoughts about about the potential disruptions of permanent daylight savings time so i think i think the appeal to them the dangerous appeal to them is potentially well if it gets rid of switching the clock twice a year yeah i guess it's better and we have i mean we did that one year in 74 we were in the experiment but we haven't really seen what happens when you make this shift in winter because we've always done it in summer and in winter is what i'm really concerned about it because you have short days anyway and you're and then you're taking another way away another hour of morning sunlight so like people are going to be getting up in the dark every day in winter and I don't know about you, but like I feel my best and I feel my most productive and my most happy when I wake up to the sun. When the sun shines through the window and wakes me up and gets me out of bed, I love that. I feel great. When I wake up in the pitch black room with an alarm, I don't feel so good. I don't like it. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And so if we have winters where we're not having sunrise until 9 or 10 a.m., 
I can see that being a real problem for a lot of people trying to get out of bed and, you know, suffering from not sleeping well or not being able to wake up well. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm sort of fixated on this this sort of scientific attitude that says that that doesn't matter. Like yeah. um, the, the way that, that your body naturally responds to sunlight, um, we, we can sort of come in with, with our smart people and, and redesign that. And, and I got to go back to COVID again because I think I think my my theory as of now is that the lockdowns were an oversized response to to a scientific mad experiment yeah. um, gone wrong. And you know, um, a a virus clearly looks like it leaked out of out of a lab in Wuhan, and um, the American taxpayers were unknowingly financing. Um, at very least, the collection of these super deadly bat viruses. Um, but you know, Fauci himself has written articles defending uh, gain-of-function research, and he actually says in an academic journal, the risks, although significant, are worth the price to pay for solving these problems. But the whole experiment was, we're going to create the most deadly viruses ever, yeah, and then we're going to figure out how to stop them, I guess with vaccines, and and talk about talk about arrogance. Um, maybe you should have just left those bat viruses where they were because they were in a cave somewhere and they weren't getting out of there. Yeah, I think that that's what we're seeing. I mean, that's just the whole problem with government is you have a few people who think that they're really really smart and they think they know what's best for everybody and they're going to impose that by force on everybody, whether the people want it or not. And they're going to spend the people's money on these things that they think are important for money to be spent on. They're not going to let people decide where their own money goes. And, it, you know, they don't know as much as they think they know. They never know as much as they think they know. It's, the world is far too complicated for a few people in positions of leadership to just decide how everything is going to be. And so the more you can devolve those decisions down to the individual level, the better off you're going to be. And the more you can kind of – I mean, I, I'm not really a, a cultural conservative in the sense of being, you know, appealing to tradition too much because I think there are reasons to change traditions – but I am a believer in Chesterton's fence. And Chesterton's fence is this idea that was popularized by the author G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite writers, who said, if you come across a fence in a field and you don't know what the fence is there for, find out what the fence is there for before you tear it down. Because it might be important and you don't know. And this is an idea that should be applied to public policy. Where if you come across, like, the reason the clocks are the way they are, there's a reason for that that dates back thousands of years. Figure out why that reason is, exists and whether that reason is important before you change it. If you just arbitrarily start knocking down traditions because you don't like them and you don't really understand the reason for the tradition or why it's been there all this time, you're liable to cause big problems. The same way you would be liable to cause a problem if you knocked down a fence in a field that was holding back a stampede of buffalo or something. <laughs> you have to be careful. Right. So I think that's just the lacking of, uh, of introspection and circumspection that happens among members of Congress. They're just like – they think right now in the moment. They're like, I don't like this. Let's change it. And they're like, they don't take the time to understand why it exists that way in the first place. Yeah, like, um, and, and you were part of this process. We did a deep dive on the origins of socialism, and it turns out that it comes from the original scientists. And, and I feel like the old socialism, the um, government owns the means of production, the experiments that, that Mao and, and Stalin and Pol Pot did, is being replaced with an equally dangerous form of sort of technocratic scientism and and you you look at the world economic forum and they 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 talk about a lot of really weird stuff that ultimately is sort of anti-human yeah 
Um, but you know, the, 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 it's the same arrogance that Mao had, like, I'm going to, I'm going to replace the birds because birds are eating stuff, not thinking anything about the, the consequence, the natural consequences of that. Yeah. So I, I feel like this is the enemy now. Um, yeah. Technocracy is, is the new like master God of our age. People are think, you know, we're so clever. We're so smart. We're going to solve these problems by putting smart people in charge and giving them unlimited power. And, you know, the real problem, one of the real problems with technocracy, there's a couple, is first of all, there's these incredibly complex systems, things like climate, things like the economy that have millions and millions of moving parts. And you cannot understand them as a single individual. They're, there's sort of an organic self-regulating mechanism that goes into them. And we try to mess with that and it doesn't ever work out. And then you have the problem of human free will as well, which I think is important to talk about because the scientific crowd likes to treat people as variables in a, an equation. They like to treat them as numbers in an equation. You plug in the numbers this way, you run the equation, and you get the outcome you want. And they don't account for the fact that people can make choices and do things that are different from what they expect them to do. People are famously unpredictable. You never know what people are going to do. So when you try to design a very complex system around predictions about what humans are going to do, you're always going to fail because you never people are going to surprise you. It's just what we do. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think the most powerful uh, libertarian story that we can tell is the respect for, for that process of figuring stuff out. And, and you, you quoted Chesterton, but I immediately heard a little bit of Hayek in there. Yeah. And, and I believe that Chesterton influenced Hayek as well. But it's that, um, you know, traditions and Hayek would call them rules, but, but the things that we decided as people work to hold to civil society together um, evolve spontaneously. Yeah. They, they, weren't, they weren't mandated by the smartest guy. Um, they're just rules that hold things together. And, you know, in order, as Hayek would say, in order to break a rule, in order to innovate, in order to um, uh, move from what we did yesterday, the tradition, you have to follow a lot of rules. Yeah. So when you start messing with that stuff, it's, a, it's an infinitely complex web um, that allows for people to struggle through um, struggle through time. Like you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So those 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 uh, ways that we organize things matter fundamentally. Well, it's important to emphasize that those Hayekian rules are not like whims. They're not just like things that people have arbitrarily decided on. They're processes that have emerged over a very long period of time through a long process of trial and error, where people have tried many many different things, and most of them didn't work. And over time, they finally settled on something that this works pretty well. And, you know, it may not work well anymore. Times change, people change, circumstances change. Maybe that those rules aren't working so well right now and we need to rethink them. But for the most part, these are things that have held together and stood the test of time. And they exist now for a reason. And the reason is they haven't failed yet. And so when you just arbitrarily change them with something, you know, you might get it right. It's possible. But it's unlikely. It's unlikely that your random guess is going to be as good as something that has been honed through hundreds or thousands of years of trial and error. So devastating lockdowns, uh, rampant potential hyperinflation, um, the more than 0% chance of nuclear war. Those are really important things. But this fight is the hill to die on. Don't mess with the sun, man. Don't mess Leave with the, the sun. Leave the sun alone. Okay, give a shout out to uh, uh, your latest book. Um, remind people the theme. You did a whole show on this, which oh, yes. I recommend to people. But tell us, tell us about that because it's it's not completely unrelated to this. No, it is. It is related. Um, my latest book is called "Conform or Be Cast Out: The Literal Demonization of Nonconformists." 
It is available on Amazon.com and where all fine books are sold. And the theme of the book is this idea that people who have broken from tradition and been different throughout history and who have tried new things and who have had new ideas have historically been demonized in the most literal way possible. They've been identified with the metaphysical evil and been accused of being witches or devil worshippers or any number of wicked things and have often been persecuted to the point of being tortured or put to death for it. And my book is sort of tracing that history throughout the beginning of recorded history to modern times and talking about things like the Salem witch trials or the satanic panic or just this collectivist nature that we have as a society to destroy the people who don't fit into the narrative that we want to put them in. And I think that's a really interesting topic. As far as I know, no one else has really written about it to the extent that I have. So if the viewers are interested, the book is Conform or Be Cast Out, The Literal Demonization of Nonconformists by me, Logan Albright, available wherever fine books are sold. What's funny is by your uh, demanding that we de defend natural time and that when the sun wants to rise and when the sun wants to set, you are a nonconformist trying to conform to tradition at the same time. I know. That's sort of ironic, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It, it's confusing. And well. So we'll leave people with that. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed that show, make sure that you like and subscribe. Click the little bell so that you get notifications. And if you consume this via podcast, go wherever you want to go. We're everywhere. Kibbe on Liberty. The revolution starts now.